0: Welcome back to another episode of The Blue Turf. I think we're up to episode three. Is that right now?
1: We are up to episode three. That's considered a streak.
0: That's right. All right. Uh, Let's see. We have a lot to talk about, and I don't know how much time we'll get, if we'll get everything in, but a couple of games coming up this weekend. What do you see happening? There's a, what, game Saturday, back at home on Sunday, a lot of crowd is supposed to be there. So let's start with...
1: Yeah I was gonna say let's start with Saturday so uh, road trip to Texas first game in Mesquite for a while Mesquite was in the league as an expansion team and then they sat out during COVID and then they're back some old faces on their roster some new faces on their roster Uh, a lot of uh, players I guess you could say inherited from the Dallas sidekicks so Mesquite Opened up the season last weekend with a 2-1 victory over Monterey Flash. A a, a couple observations about that. Both teams were out of the MASL uh, during COVID and they're back. So I was mildly surprised uh, with the result. I think it's going to be a question for Monterey in terms of visa availability for players coming into the U.S. So I wouldn't read too, too much into that result. What I would tell you is uh, uh, Mesquite has a fantastic goalkeeper. We saw him with St. Louis last year. Played one game with San Diego as well, Pollo Cortez. He's going to have to have a big game for Monterey, but they have, or excuse me, for Mesquite, but they have talent on that team. David Ortiz, Luis Morales, both came from the sidekicks. Morales was rookie of the year. Uh, th- they have uh, firepower on that team. I would expect a close, a close game. Who's not going to be there is Nicolau Neto, who uh, is facing a, a one-game suspension for the league uh, from the St. Louis game at St. Louis. And so we'll see who's the starting goalkeeper for the Comets on Saturday night. And I don't have any predictions yet, Thad. Then you come to Sunday, uh, but maybe we'll pause there and talk about goalkeeping, my favorite topic.
0: Of course. Um, yeah, Neto out I've I've been told there is no clear number one of who's next between Sway and Steven. Uh Sway obviously has more indoor experience, but Steven is a really good keeper who's learning very quickly. And I've heard a lot of good things about him. What I've seen in practice is he's made some very in practice, he's made some of those very rookie indoor mistakes, but which is exactly what he's supposed to be doing in practice. So he learns. So it, it's gonna be a very interesting choice of who who Leo picks to, to start in there.
1: Yeah. And I think we saw something last weekend. We weren't, we were not expecting rookie Mark Baker to start for the ambush against Kansas city. And he did, and he had a terrific game. And so I think that, I mean, for me that that kind of opens up the possibility that, well, if one team can start a rookie goalkeeper, anybody could start a rookie goalkeeper. But again, I don't, I don't have a sense which way the comments are going to go. Speaking of St. Louis, St. Louis plays at Milwaukee on Saturday night, so the Wave will have their home opener Saturday. Then both Kansas City and Milwaukee travel to Kansas City for that, what could be an epic matchup Sunday afternoon at Cable Dahmer Arena.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I, what my understanding is it's almost sold out or very, very, very close to it at the, this point. So yeah, should almost. Be
1: a- just a few hundred tickets left, which uh, it, it will be great to have that atmosphere. a couple things about Milwaukee for sure, and and if you've followed them in the press this past week, they were disappointed about last year. They saw this as an aberration. They see themselves as competing for the championship, the Ron Newman Cup every year. And so there's some embarrassment over how they they finished and performed last year. Few new faces. On the team, starts with goal. It always starts with goal. Uh, William Bonahene, otherwise lovingly known as Willie B, uh, came over from Harrisburg, new starting goalkeeper for them. They also picked up Ben Raymond, quality defender from from UCFC. And so they will be, I don't want to say they should be, they will be better than last year. Haven't talked yet about Derek Huffman. He and Nicolau Neto kind of had an altercation incident uh, last year, a memorable one at Cable Dome Arena. Uh, we'll see uh, how they how they each perform and behave on Sunday, but I'll give you a, a free heads up here, Thad, that my halftime interview will be Nicolao Neto for Sunday's game at Cable Dome Arena. So it's going to be interesting to get his take on everything happening in the league.
0: And I will have to keep my camera focused on those two, right?
1: I think it would be helpful. What I will tell you is, um, I co-hosted guest hosted a uh, different show last Thursday night, and Willie B was on there, and we had a conversation about his transition to Milwaukee, loves it, feels that that this team has a lot to prove and demonstrate and and reclaim their position in the upper echelons of the MASL. And uh, he had really positive things to say about Derek Huffman as a teammate. I know Kansas City fans love to get on Derek Huffman, but I heard positives from Willie B about Derek in terms of of his role on that Wave roster. And, And I'm looking forward to seeing how they fit. Just sort of a, incidentally, I did interview Derek Huffman. I don't know if you remember this. That that day, Derek was was my halftime interview, and so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him back. And Ian Bennett, what can you say about him? Every time he comes to Cable Dom Arena, he scores goals, and so uh, we expect to see a lot of goals on Sunday afternoon.
0: Yeah, it would be a, probably a good idea just to make sure they mark up on him, but but he always does it, man. He's always so good. He would uh he's one of the few players around the league I would love to steal for the Comets.
1: Yeah, what's funny is uh he never wound up here even during the COVID when when he took a year and played for the Florida Tropics. There was uh no sense that he was coming to Kansas City, but could you imagine what it would be like to have Ian Bennett wearing the Comets red?
0: Yeah, that that probably would have put the Comets over the top that year, but oh well. Oh well. Yeah. It, it was still a fun year. Well, on the field at least. Yep. Um, going back to Neto for a second, mm-hmm. the he got those four blue cards, I think, right in those first two games, and now there has been a new rule change that I don't think we've had a chance to talk about. Um, we we've been jokingly calling it the Neto rule. But when a keeper gets a blue card, he actually has to go sit in the bench until that blue card is over. In uh, The, the
1: penalty out. box. So this came up
0: in one yes. of the other
1: broadcasts is the distinction between the, the bench and the penalty box. So this is actually an old rule that got reintroduced. So for those of us who watched a lot of indoor soccer during the 1990s, this rule existed, which was if a, if a goalkeeper gets a blue card or, or a yellow card that... He has to go in the penalty box. What is similar to the the rule that we're more familiar with now is the coach has to designate somebody to go into the penalty box who would be able to come out immediately after that blue in the case of the blue card after that uh penalty is killed and then the goalkeeper could come out at the next dead ball substitution with a a yellow card that's a longer. Uh, experience in the sin bin so five minutes plus potentially for that goalkeeper it it puts a premium now on having a a solid backup who could come in at a moment's notice and we saw this already occur in the uh baltimore utica game uh right off the bat blue card on the goalkeeper and 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 so i don't know that it changes the strategy and and what the league said is this doesn't change strategy in the way that last year's goalkeeper possession rule did so teams had right. to practice that how do we how do we what do we do when the goalkeeper distributes to us when can we play it back to him? when can't we play it back to them so that required teams and training camp to get used to this this is very different Dad. this is ultimately i've heard two officials say this if your goalkeeper doesn't get in trouble you're not going to have any problem i paraphrase I mean, ultimately, as long as your goalkeeper doesn't get a blue card or a yellow card, you're not going to have to do anything. But when your goalkeeper does, he he, and in this case, it's a male league, he will have to atone for his sins directly and immediately yes. in that in that sin bin.
0: Yeah, no, but it will make it more interesting because keepers will be coming off the bench cold, and that, having to get, jump right into play, and you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll have a uh, five seconds to warm up, but it's it won't be much, I'm sure the really interesting day will be when both keepers end up uh in the penalty box and they have to pull a six attacker
1: well and this rule applies to six attackers as well so if your six attacker draws a penalty the six attacker is going into the into the penalty box so we'll see throughout the year how this plays out but just just interesting and and I think that fans in particular wanted to connect it to netto my understanding is this is something the league had been looking at and felt like it was okay to introduce even after the year started because this was very different practically than the goalkeeper possession rule that i mentioned earlier
0: and i'm i'm and i'll be honest i'm all in favor of this rule i've actually said that this was what should happen in the past I'm not in favor of changing it after two games, but you're right. It doesn't change the tactics of anything other it's just now teams have to make sure they have that second keeper. That's
1: a real good keeper. So, uh, well, and you have to dress, I mean, it's clearly in written in the rule book, you have to dress two goalkeepers. So we can date ourselves that if you go way, way back to the end of the original MISL era, there were teams only dressing one goalkeeper. Yeah. And there are great horror stories of what happens when that number one goalkeeper gets hurt. Kansas City Comets experienced that once with Jim Gorsuch getting hurt with uh, against the San Diego Sockers, and Jim Schwab having to play sixth attacker for most of the game. So teams now are not going to put themselves in a position. They have to have two goalkeepers. But as you said, that second goalkeeper be- better be ready to play.
0: Yeah, and that's that has been an issue uh, sometimes in the past. I've seen the second keeper not be completely 100% fit, and they didn't want to risk him. So they did. A team has put in a keeper, uh, a six attacker, maybe in the third quarter when a when the first keeper got hurt. So again, it'll be fun for the drama, if nothing else.
1: Sure. Uh,
0: going back to the uh, these two games this weekend, not knowing which keeper will start, but I my understanding is that we will have a. Uh, a rookie debut, either Saturday or Sunday, probably Saturday, homegrown player Chase Bromstead.
1: So it's interesting as I had a conversation about Chase Bromstead here on campus with Parkman soccer coach Ephraim Shimless, who knew him when he was little and growing up, and we were talking about his pathway to the pros. And so here's somebody who Although he graduated from Park Hill South High School, he didn't play high school soccer. He was sporting Kansas City Academy and, and moved his way up through the ranks, wound up playing at Tulsa D1 and a lot of promise. What's going to be interesting for him is the transition. So so most kids now in Kansas City have played some sort of indoor soccer. It's not like, like they've come in cold indoor it's just getting into the pace and the rhythm where do you where do you need to be on the field how do you make the transitions that you need to make but the talent he absolutely has it and i think that what will help the comets not only this year but over the next couple years is developing that local core because because ultimately i think that's what makes kansas city a a perennially competitive masl franchises they've been successful at identifying local players either homegrown local kansas city talent or college players who played in and around kansas city as opposed to looking elsewhere for for that next generation
0: you know that's actually that has definitely been a strength for kansas city players from park which you know very well obviously umkc Mm -hmm. um other one's right close and even one's into the middle of Missouri. So that's been a big strength. And I've watched chase since he was with sporting Academy and he was always a really good ball handler. Very difficult to dispossess. It'll, that'll be definitely different a little in the indoor game. He's always kind of slight. He's not big, strong guy. Um, but as he he was a midfielder for Sporting Academy, when he went to college, he was he was still a, a kind of a holding midfielder, but they eventually moved him to left back, I believe. He was one of the outside back spots, either left or right, but I think it was left. And then he played with the Las Vegas Lights in USL Championship last year, also playing that outside back. And he wanted to come back and play in Kansas City with a hometown team. And so he's he's the one that actually reached out to see if he could come play for the Comets. So I I look for him to be very good at some point in the future, but he's still a rookie in the indoor game. Like you said, it's every kid's played it, but the tactics, the, the pro layer level of tactics in indoor is far different than we're going to go play it for fun or even for an Academy level team.
1: But, but the one thing he brings just in terms of the positions he's played somebody who can both play midfield and play defense. And then you start thinking about power play, either, power play, kill, et cetera, he can, he can plug in in a lot of different ways. And so as a rookie, he can find playing meaningful playing time just because he he offers Coach Leo Gibson some options in terms of how do I want to use him. And we saw this last year with Christian Andreas, who, who could play in a lot of different ways. Yeah. That ultimately, if you're a young player, gives you an advantage over other people is, is you can get plugged in here, there, and everywhere else and then make your case for more playing time.
0: Uh, speaking of Christian, my understanding is a lot, there's uh, there's still a few players that are out with the visa issues that they, they were hoping to get resolved this week. But again, with without being able to go into any details, because if I win any details, I might say something wrong and I don't want to be wrong about it, but hopefully there will be some more movement on that early next week.
1: Yeah. What As, I would uh, say is tune into episode four of this yes. podcast and, and, and we should be having a conversation about visas.
0: The, uh, but it won't help them for this weekend. Is, the, so-
1: n- no impact on this weekend. And so, uh, again, as you said, opportunity for somebody young, somebody to come in and, and fill a need for the Comets. And, and ultimately, I think if they can solve some or all of their visa issues... We'll get back to where we were at the start of the season, Thad, in terms of how we're thinking about the comments. I, I I think what you saw in in those games against St. Louis, both in St. Charles and Kansas City, was a team that has a lot of good pieces, but didn't have everybody available, and and created some challenges for for Coach Leo Gibson. If he gets those pieces back, then it's more of a question of who sits and who plays.
0: Yeah, it's it's whoever is better informed that week, or maybe matches up against the other team better. Uh, it, it's every coach wants to have the the problem of having too many people to pick from. They don't want it to be solved for them by not having enough players. Let's see. Do we need uh, anything else we need to talk about for this weekend?
1: Well, other than I'm looking at the uh, the roster for the Milwaukee Wave, and I think one thing you can absolutely see is. The, the tradition and the players, the core that, that Giuliano Olivero had, you have, you have people who've won multiple championships. You have LSO, Luan Olivera, you have Marcio Leite. There are a lot of quality players, somebody that has been a Comets killer in recent years, Alex Bradley, deadly with his, his left foot. And so if anybody is taking Milwaukee lightly, Based on their record last year, I think that's very short-sighted. This is a team that will compete. One of the challenges that I think Milwaukee and Kansas City base, if you're looking at sort of the longer-term bad, is they both got moved from the Central Division along with St. Louis into, into what is now the Eastern Conference. And the schedule's not balanced, meaning that not every team plays any of their conference rivals the same amount of games. Right. Kansas City plays Milwaukee six times. Kansas City plays St. Louis six times. Milwaukee plays St. Louis six times. They're going to be battling it out throughout the year. Kansas City doesn't play Utica. Kansas City only plays Harrisburg two times, I believe that. And so what's going to be interesting to watch Milwaukee and Kansas City is if they beat each other up over these six games, What does that mean in the end of the season when you look at who's first place, who's second place, who's third place. And so I think this weekend is going to be telling because you'll have that first Milwaukee St. Louis matchup on Saturday and you'll have the first Milwaukee Kansas city matchup on Sunday. And is this, will it give us the sense of what to expect the the rest of the season, which is a lot of slugfest games happening in the Midwest but, but, how does that translate at the end of the season records?
0: Yeah, I think probably another week or so into this we can break down that schedule a little bit more too, because you're right. It's not balanced. it's it's going to favor some teams that play other weaker teams more often, uh, which is sad. I mean, I, I know this is a reality of of how it is, but it's just sad that it's going it may come down to Kansas City and Milwaukee could be two of the best teams, but end up in third and fourth and not first or second
1: by the way right. of right. well, and I had this conversation with uh, with Willie B and with uh, with uh, Geo, the host of uh, the the podcast I was on that there are some challenges in terms of the scheduling. I mean I think that it definitely gives some opportunities for Baltimore in the East florida you would come to expect them to to be really really good regardless right. but if you look at the schedule um there is some imbalance so i would encourage people if you haven't watched goals and boards last week you can definitely follow it on youtube and you can hear what we had to say and uh i think that the, the challenge for kansas city is not to get caught up in the hey, the schedule isn't balanced, and and woe is us. You ultimately have to win each game in front of you. Mesquite, last time they went there, they won. And if I remember correctly, it was a Friday night game. They won there. They went to Dallas that weekend and then lost. This is just a a short trip down there, and, and ultimately you have to win the games in front of you. Where the Comets have been challenged in recent years is consistent performance on the road sorry, they they already lost their first game at St. Louis. They need some road W's. You can't just rely on winning at home because there will be losses at home in, in inevitably. You need yeah. to start getting some road wins to to build that momentum,
0: yeah. and the, the comments are already being in that challenged uh, schedule because there's four games in the next seven days, essentially for them. it It's going to be tough, and especially if they don't get some of the other players back off the the visa issues. And, and with that being a little bit shorthanded and some players that are injured, they could end up quickly at, not at the top of the table where they deserve to be. And then having to battle their way back up and having to do it against these guys, the, the teams that are those conference rivals that we know are always going to be tough games, no matter whether they're the, is the same level of quality player or not, they're always going to be tough battles. It, it's it, Leo does not have a, uh, an easy task over the next week or so to, to get those results so they don't drop below, you know, down too far on the table.
1: So, and, and we talked about those teams in the Midwest. So, so. Comments travel to Mesquite, then they have Milwaukee at home. What does it look like the following weekend? They go up to Milwaukee on Friday, come back home to play St. Louis on Saturday. So these games count double, right? Right. In some, way, in some ways more than double because, you you know that that there're going to be battles between all three you want to be stay ahead of both in the standings and so each game matters that much more not to say this mesquite game doesn't matter at all a win is a win regardless of where you have it but when it's in conference particularly these teams in the midwest you get a win and they get a loss and that's ultimately what you want to do you want to you want to make your your competition down and so that's what that's the challenge that Leo Gibson has, but it's also the opportunity he has over the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. It's key to build a little momentum too. So uh, moving on, we have, let's see some other news that came out recently. And I think this is one that you were definitely wanting to talk about a hall of fame, uh, uh voted into the hall of fame. I was trying to find the right words there. Uh, Steve Zungle. i am never good it. Was pronouncing names. But oh, it's
1: jungle, but so, jungle. So Steve jungle uh, was known as the Lord of all indoors when he played for multiple teams, originally in New York arrows wound up getting traded to what was then called the golden Bay earthquakes. We would know them today as the San Jose earthquakes played uh, for the great San Diego soccer in the late eighties, went up to Tacoma and then went back to San Diego. And so, A lot of indoor fans, I've noticed on social media, were incredulous that he wasn't in the hall already. I would say it's very, very difficult to make a case just on one's indoor career, why you would be in the National Soccer Hall of Fame. But what Jungle has in, in terms of his time in America is that when he played for the Golden Bay Earthquakes, they played both indoor and outdoor in the NASL, and he was MVP of the outdoor team. So he showed that he could be the best of the indoor game and the best of the outdoor game in America and put that resume up against anybody else. Definitely a strong case where I get a little bit challenged. uh, I wasn't sure I was going to go down this road in this podcast that, but why not is that the San Diego soccer's uh, social media account has been trying to make the case that jungles number seven should be retired across the MASL, which you could you could make an argument for, I have multiple arguments against, and and one of my arguments, I'll, I'll try to connect some dots here at that. So I mentioned that jungle played for the soccers. He wore number seven. He wound up going to Tacoma. He wore number seven there. And then he wound up coming back to San Diego. He did not wear number seven. When he came back to San Diego, he wore number 21. And why is that? Because number seven at the time was being worn by Zoran Karic, who arguably is one of the top five, 10 ever indoor soccer players in the United States. So my little take on this is if Jungles number seven is that holy and the soccer say it should be retired. Well, why didn't they give him number seven when they got him back from Tacoma way back when? And so we'll see if this, this gets any legs, but uh, regardless of all that, I don't think that anybody can refute the fact that the jungle was, one of the best ever indoor soccer players in the history of the game. And uh, should I be invited to to vote on the all-time team when the 50th anniversary of the original missile happens in 2028? He'll be on my first team ballot.
0: Oh, yeah, I would completely agree with that. But I would also completely agree they should not be retiring any number across the league,
1: no matter who. Well, I'll give you another example. He was great in a different league, which was the major indoor soccer league. And I think that one of the challenges for the major arena soccer league today is there are too many people of your in my generation who long for the days of yore and, and talk about, oh, how wonderful life was back in the 80s, which is sort of easier to ca- couch with rose colored glasses, Dad, because there was no social media. There there weren't all the other distractions back then. but. Ultimately the Major Arena Soccer League needs to make a case for indoor soccer today, not the way indoor soccer was back then and so I would caution anybody to make a, yet another move that that focuses on the past but doesn't project into the future.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I I I think we're going to touch on this on almost every podcast cuz I think we talked about a little bit last time a similar thing. We can long for the old days and respect them and all that sort of thing, but they weren't perfect. If they were perfect, nothing would have changed. They would still be, all those teams would still be in existence. That league would still be in existence. Obviously it was not, everything was perfect. Rose colored glass look back then. So I would, you know, that'd be great if the exact same Kansas city Comets ownership was still going, but that's not the case. That's not the case with any of these teams. So
1: let me, let me throw one, one other uh, nugget for your consideration. If, if this makes sense, honoring somebody who was great in another league for today, why shouldn't major league soccer retire 10 for Pele? Because you can't think of soccer in the United States the way it is now if Pele never came here in the seventies. So why not just tell the teams now retire number 10 for somebody who played in a previous league multiple decades ago. There's some parallels in that argument
0: definitely I I do maybe see a little more direct lineage between these leagues than than the old nasl and MLS but there is lineage there definitely I'm just not in favor I'm really not in favor of retiring jerseys j- retiring numbers across an entire league with some very very rare exceptions so
1: well I'm not even in favor of retiring jerseys in in one market without very clear criteria and I think that both Alan Mayer and Gino sheraldi have stood the test of time, but, but you should have done so, so much to, to justify why nobody ever should wear your number again. I I think the threshold has to be, whether you're talking about it on a individual market level or a league level, the threshold needs to be so high that there's no doubt why that decision has been made.
0: And even within market, I could see something like you retire a certain number for say five years, but you hang the banner up there to honor that person forever. But you, you You gave it a, you give it a a breath of air time. So it, it, it has been honored, but players, you know, there's certain numbers in soccer that mean things and you can't, it's hard to retire them. If you're a baseball player and you retire number 47, maybe, you know, or whatever, who cares? There's a lot of other numbers. They don't mean as much except for if you're honoring a previous player. Uh, Let's see. I think we had one other bit of news that we were planning on talking about was, uh, uh, Brian Bazinski, co-owner managing partner of the Comets, uh, has recently acquired Wimsel, as I know it, uh, Western Missouri Soccer League, and the grounds where they played at, with uh, goal towards developing youth sports up in the Northland a little bit more. Uh, I know my daughters played there in the past, and, and my son too. You know, sometimes the fields were more like playing pachinko than they were soccer, but they had always they'd improved and. I can see Bud doing a lot of great improvements on that.
1: Well, and I have a, a a sweet spot or a soft spot, I should say, for grass fields. I grew up playing grass as a kid. We have grass here at Park University. We're one of the few schools that actually still competes on grass. But for the outdoor game, ultimately, the goal is if you want to be a professional, you better learn how to play on grass because – Artificial turf is kind of frowned upon at, at, at the professional level. And so in a way, Brian Bezinski is bucking, bucking the trend where everybody's looking at at suburban turf fields. Yeah, there's benefits to them in terms of uh, what you can do during the winter months and when it's raining, et, et cetera. But at least for now, and I haven't had this conversation in terms of what the future plan is, he's investing in, in a uh, prominent, grass facility and i think that that will if done well and and he's going to make that commitment this gives kids in the kansas city area and others visiting there a a real surface experience which i think is great that doesn't take away with anything he's done indoors both with the comets and then with the soccer dome it it just provides something and could be something special that doesn't exist elsewhere in the Kansas city market.
0: Yeah. I'm actually hoping to have him on a, a one-off pod to hear what his plans are and, and talk about that sort of thing. But it, it is, it, my, I know for like my daughter, when she was playing, she's just in college now. So she's not playing soccer anymore, or at least in, in a official capacity. She loved playing on grass, but she also loved playing on turf, but she was also, you know, 95 pounds. And when she fell down, it didn't hurt. Like when a, some of these other guys get slammed into it or hurt their knees. The, um, I would love to actually see a mixed surface where there's a couple of turf fields and some grass fields and stuff like that. I don't, again, I don't know if that's ever in his plans. I'm, I just want to see good fields, quality right. fields. And uh, it, it used to be several locations in town had good grass fields and, you know, they would vary in quality during the year and use and weather and all that stuff. But now it's, it's hardly, none of them are being played at least at a, a higher level than, and then rec. And I don't, I hope that there will be more than just rec games there.
1: Right. Totally agree with that.
0: All right. Last chance for any uh, wild card subjects to throw out there, Eric.
1: Well, other than this weekend, uh, as we're recording this, the comments just posted on social media, a, a graphic of Lucas Sosa uh, with the uh, text. Lucas wants to see you Saturday on Twitch and Sunday at, at Cable Dome arena. So I would invite comments fans, other MSL fans to, to tune in for sure on Saturday for, for that call in Mesquite. If you can join us in person and there's not that many tickets available, we'd love to see you at cable Dom arena, but if not, Nick Bassos and I will be on the call once again for for local broadcast purposes. 38th the spot in Kansas City and everywhere else across the country and, and worldwide on Twitch. And as I said, I uh, will be interviewing Nicolau Neto. That will that will run at halftime. Be curious to hear what he says, get his take maybe on the new goalkeeper rule. I haven't finalized my questions to that, but I'm I'm working on them. And then it's always a battle. Kansas City and Milwaukee, and uh, usually the fourth quarter makes the difference, so so I'm excited about this weekend.
0: Yep. Uh, Milwaukee, always a great battle. Uh, Derek Huffman should be entertaining, and just having a packed house. It's been, the comments have been doing well with the tenants, but it's, you know, kind of going back to pre-pandemic levels again, so that's really nice to see. All right. Uh, wish uh, luck to the comments this weekend. Good luck to you and on your call. I mean, not that you need luck because you and Nick Nick are you know two of the pros. But appreciate having you on again, Eric.
1: Thanks as always, Ted. Look forward to episode four. Maybe we can talk about visa updates, and we'll definitely do a uh, playback of of what we saw in Mesquite and uh, here against Milwaukee, and then a preview of what to expect next weekend at Milwaukee, and then home once again against the Ambush.
0: Cool. Thanks for your time.
1: Bye. Thank you. See you.